Movies and Booze on Moncrief. Brought to you by Lidl's award-winning wine range. Lidl. More for you. Enjoy alcohol sensibly. Visit drinkaware.ie. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cents. Uh, you are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk, and indeed, it is time for uh, Movies and Booze, which means that uh, Eth McCarthy, uh, Gene Smolan, and um, um, Fanula Jones, sorry, Fanula, blanked your name there uh, uh, completely. Uh, all right, they join us once again. Good afternoon to you all. Hello. Hi, guys. Hi, Sean. Uh, yeah, you're all there. That's good, That's good to know. Uh, right, so the, the uh, both the films you're doing tonight, Esther, are, are, or this afternoon, are the name of a place. Is that a theme? <laughs> Not quite, no. Very different films. Um, Munich is um, a good old escapist espionage spy thriller set during World War Two. Um, featuring some real-life events, but not based on truth. I think that's probably important, and we'll talk about why later, because this is actually an adaptation of a Robert Harris historical novel, rather than based on the actual facts of the time. Um, so I know some people will have some beef with that, but I think it was really, it's really, really good, this. George McKay, having already uh, nailed World War One with the brilliant 1917, is shown his um, acting chops here in another period film set in 1938, um, involving the whole Neville Chamberlain Munich Accord discussion. Um, and that is a really interesting point in history. And I think... We were reminded, it's timely, I guess, that uh, David Davis um, had to go at Boris with the Just Go speech um, just this week. And now this is coming out, examining Chamberlain's um, decision-making policies around that time, I suppose. Yeah, okay, right. And the uh, the wines today, Jay. Right, we're going to South Africa uh, with the Chenin Blanc from Svartland, which is absolutely stunning. And we're also going to be looking at Robert del Duero, both available on a wine website. Now, one of the big things about lockdown was that wine websites just, you know, people selling wine online just went through the roof, like you've wine online, wines direct. This is a new uh, website called WineSpark, and it's different to all the others, so it's very innovative. And we're going to be featuring two wines that are brought in by a guy called Amy Fitzgerald, who owns Winespark. Right, okay. And what's innovative about uh, Winespark? Uh, rather than, he doesn't he doesn't charge a markup, but he charges you uh, a subscription fee. So you get the wines at basically what is to all intents and purposes the Exceller price. So it's like half the price of what you'd buy. And that includes the Irish fat and duty. So, you know, it, it actually works out as um, a kind of bargain. The only thing is you have to buy a minimum order of, of six. So you have to be invested in wine. Yeah, it's really okay. aimed at oh, yeah, the wine enthusiast. Uh, <laughs> no, no, seriously. Cheap wine, I'm yeah. Your liver. I know, but I mean, it's, it's for the wine enthusiasts, but you yeah, know, it, sure. it's more yeah. aimed at them. But it's actually a very, um, a very, very interesting concept. So, yeah, online sales, that's been, that's been the big story of the last two years. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe as Weird Al. Weird Al Yankovic, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, I said this to Gene before we came in, and Gene was like, I don't get it. And I don't, I, I don't I get do it either. either. No. Uh, but no. apparently, Weird Al is very happy with it. So it's a biopic. It's going to be called Weird, the Ali Yankovic story. Um, I think they're due to begin production uh, next month. Um, but he basically sees it as he said he's absolutely thrilled that Daniel Rackett will be portraying me in the film. But like, I, I can't even visualize it. Like, obviously, Daniel Rackett is a good actor. I just, I can't. Now, Hair and makeup departments, they've done incredible things. Look at the Pam and Tommy series, but I don't know, I think it's going to be. He's like, Weird Al is also like a good bit taller than him as well. Yeah. There's so that. I think it's going to be like a Daniel Radcliffe standing on apple crates kind of a thing, like Tom Cruise, but I don't know. I'm, I'm very intrigued. Like, they kind of have me, but 
I don't know. We'll wait and see when we get a trailer. I just, I don't know. And what does it tell Weird Al's compelling life story? Or Pretty is much there one? How he came to prominence. See, this is the thing. I actually don't know a lot about him and that's what usually draws me in with like a good biopic where it's like you don't really know a lot about a person and how they came to be. Um, if they can do that well, they have me. I'm sold. But as of right now, I'm a bit, I'm apprehensive. Right. He had a hit single, but I can't even remember. I, I mean, he had long, stringy, blonde hair that was horrible. And so, you know... Daniel yeah, he did a lot of kind of parody songs. That yeah, was his whole did. thing. Yeah, he, like, yeah. he did that for you. But for how long did he do that? I don't even I know mean, what A good like. portion of the 90s, kind of early noughties. But he also had his own film in 1989. Uh, I'm not familiar with it, but he kind of referenced that on about how this was, it was a good return for him with this biopic. But yeah, we'll see. I don't know. Yeah, I just that's a, that's a very strange. It's kind of like, but it might ti- be amazing. It's like Tiny Tim, you know. There was always each each era had one of those, and <laughs> yeah, so that was theirs. Uh, Nikki says uh, Weird Al uh, was a man calling out for a biopic. What a strange career, the oddest career. He had a comedy hit song once a decade for thirty or forty years. So that's four then. Uh, what the hell was he doing the rest of the time? Good question. Well, I suppose he was the precursor to like any like a lot of like vi- what we know as viral internet content, those kind of parody songs, kind of. But people bought them in the traditional way. They yeah. were like in the top whatever. And that's you the know. difference, I suppose. Yeah, whereas people actually went out and bought them. You would not get that nowadays at all. No, it's a, it's a, but like in between those three or four hits, was he in prison? Was he, you know, uh, was he secretly a cat burglar or something? <laughs> we'll find out. Yeah, that's very strange. Uh, uh, Daniel Radcliffe is the man to tell the story. Mm, yes. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. Right, and the animated series Arthur. Now, is this King Arthur or, or, or the Dudley Moore thing? No, this is the Aardvark Arthur. Right, the okay, oh, there's another one. <laughs> Sorry, I, I only know of two. What yeah. a wonderful kind of day. I thought I was hallucinating when I read this headline. But yeah, so it's like the longest running uh, animated kids show in the world. It's been running for 25 years. Um, but it's ending this year. And to mark it, they're going to do like flash forward episodes to see what Arthur and his friends would be like as adults. I think there's going to be four episodes. Um, they're streaming all 250 episodes of the show on their YouTube channel, as well as these four new episodes. And I think the themes are, so they're, again, the themes are so deranged. So the episodes will see Arthur and his friends solving a mystery, seeing a silent movie, finding out what it's like to be a reporter, learning how to help a grieving friend, which is where things really, yeah, yeah, going on a family vacation and getting a hint of their futures from a mysterious fortune telling game. I, I don't know who who this is for because even modern day children, I feel like they are now not growing up on no, Arthur. they've gone well past Unless that. even wouldn't... maybe if you're in America, but even at that, I feel like it's all Coco Melon and, you know, I'd sad that I even know that not having children, but... But are they cashing in a nostalgia like a lot of these things? You know, a lot of... I think so, yeah. Series, like, so. again, case in point, I saw this headline and I was very, very intrigued as someone who did watch Arthur occasionally growing up. I'm kind of like, adult Arthur, that's a strange concept. Right, I'll okay. probably watch. Right, so you'll have a... You, you might have a gawk on it. I'll might, have a gawk you know. and I'll come back and I'll let you know how they got on grieving their dead friend. So. Yeah, it's still, still strange. Have they said where that's going to be? Is it going to be on so Netflix? So it's going to be on the, no, it's going to be on the PBS, which is obviously an American station, but they have a YouTube channel as well. So they'll be all uh, there to watch. Right. Okay. And the Batman is going to be three hours long. Nearly three hours long. So it's two hours, 55 minutes, um, including eight minutes of credits. So it's the longest running time of any solo Batman film. Oh, it's still behind uh, like the likes of Avengers Endgame. That was, I think, three hours, one minute. 
Um, this actively makes me not want to watch it. And I was really, really excited for this. This is obviously Robert Pattinson as Batman. It's due out March 4th. You've like Paul Dano as the Riddler, Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman, Colin Farrell actually is going to be Penguin. And what I've seen of it, it does look good. But I mean, they would want to be three good hours, which most of the time but they're it's not. not. It's not. It's an hour and a half of story and then another hour and a half of people Bashing. kicking each other. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't mind if it's good bashing and kicking, like you know. No, but even that bashing and kicking, you know, <laughs> it's it's for how many times can you bash or kick true. someone? Yeah, very you know? true. I just I think it sounds very gratuitous. Like it's made it has made me actively less excited for this adaptation, to be honest. Yeah, I was I wasn't that thrilled about Robert Pattinson anyway. I don't I don't get it. I don't think he's I, dark enough. I I I well I was sold on this because he just act, actively refused to train for the role as well. Like they were, you know, the way Christian oh, so made this lazy massive, Batman. Yeah, yes. it's like like Christian <laughs> made this mad transformation where he was just protein out the wazoo and he's so built looking at the pictures of him and then Robert Pattinson was like absolutely not and the, like, I think the director was like trying to coax him into doing any bit of training and he was just like nah no I'll just suck me tummy in yeah. anyway they're wearing, you're wearing a suit that makes you look all muscly anyway so True. you don't need to yeah yeah uh, Luke says uh, why are they seriously why are they still doing Batmans I, I know you could say that about any that about any superhero movie but the Christopher Nolan trilogy nailed the genre ages ago it's just peeing on your own legacy at this stage, says mm. Luke. Well, I suppose Batman... Well, no, Spider-Man. There's been many different actors played Spider-Man. So, yeah, everyone's and having to go with it. they just capitalised on that with the latest movie. So I feel like maybe this is... I don't know. I feel like they're trying to nearly recreate what Christopher Nolan did with this kind of dark, moody adaptation with Robert Pattinson. They're just trying to do it again, but I don't know if they will. Well, wasn't the Christian Bale one dark and moody? But that's what I mean. I think they're trying yeah. to capture that again for the next generation, but I don't. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's been done. You know, it's... Mm. And it was pretty good. It was pretty good, in my yeah. opinion. I liked it. Uh, the, uh, Weird Al Yankovic played Vicar Street in 2015. A hilarious show, uh, says the texter. Mick says, I think we don't get it, this side of the Atlantic. Weird Al is a huge cult figure in America. He's like their Daniel O'Donnell. Uh, this film is for Americans rather than us. Now, that's talking them up. Uh, if you say he's like Daniel O'Donnell uh, Paul wants to know uh, Esther have you seen Firebird what did you think of it does she know where I can stream it I am afraid I don't even know what that is sorry I don't know right okay there you go sorry <laughs> <laughs> that was a disappointing a waste of 30 no. cent there Paul never mind uh, there is a podcast called Weird Al Yankovic's Weirdly Enduring Appeal by the New York Times that may explain how his life story is film worthy okay uh, of course, it depends whether any of us in this side of the are arsed to actually go up, look up that uh, article and, uh, and read it. Uh, what do we have first, Jane? OK, we're going to start with the Shannon Blanc from South Africa. Now, just a little bit. Eamon Fitzgerald, uh, obviously, origi- comes from Dublin and he went. He spent the last decade working for Naked Wines, which was one of the big success story uh, of the, the last decade in the, in the UK wine trade. And he got married and had a couple of kids and himself, his wife, decided to come back and, um, you know, settle at home, bring up the kids here. So, or then, of course, lockdown hits. And it was during lockdown that he decided, right, you know, let's, he, he'd kind of bring the naked wine type of um, philosophy to, to Dublin because he loves tasting wine because he used to go to France when he was a kid with his mum and dad and he, like, he's a lifelong love of wine and he loves telling the stories and through working for Naked Wines he literally travelled all over the world and met some of the great winemakers. So anyway, so he came back and he set up this... Um, 
online uh, website, which is winespark.com. And so how does it work? Well, you pay a tenner a month and that access that gives you access to member prices on all the wines on the list. And you can buy different cases. You don't have to buy the same wines. You can buy different cases. So, as I said, they have the minimum order of six bottles. But um, he dropped over a couple of wines to me uh, a couple of weeks ago and then I tasted the wines with them via Zoom and uh, I was really, you know, we, we only tasted six wines in the range but there were some super wines there and I picked two that I particularly liked and the first one was this South African wine which is the 2020 Carnus family Chenin Blanc Um this would normally, if you were to buy this in a in a standard off license, it would cost you twenty four euro. The wine spark price is fourteen thirty four, but do you be aware you do have to pay a ten or a month subscription fee, and there's a minimum six six order. But anyway, um, this wine represents a generation of new young South African winemakers who are really establishing themselves, and. Svartland, I mean, I, I've started working with wine in South Africa in 1998 and I know a lot about South African wine. In back then, Svartland didn't even exist. It wasn't even on the, the wine map. It was just a place for making bulk, you know, growing grapes and, and, you know, that produced sort of a lot of bulk wine. Svartland is now the coolest, most fashionable wine region in South Africa. And um, the guy who makes this wine, Danny Carnes, he works with some of the big rock star names at the moment, people like David Nadia Sadie, Chris Al Height, Peter Allen Finlayson. And originally he was just a grape grower, but now he started making his own wines. And I mean, this is just unbelievable. I love Shannon anyway. I, I mean, I love South African Shannon Blanc. First of all, the average age of the vines that this wine is produced from are 40 years old. It's had... Um, uh, t- 10 months ageing in old French barrels that were used in Burgundy to make Grand Cru wines. Um, it's it's just like you get on the nose, you get all that lovely honeyed character that you'd expect from Chenin. But the difference, the thing about Chenin is that like Sauvignon Blanc, it's a very acidic grape variety. So if you like Sauvignon and Albarino, then you're going to love Chenin Blanc. But mm. when you try this, God, it's good. There's lovely tropical fruit, the honeyest character is coming through and then there's a zippy, gorgeous acidity. Um, Danny um, believes that, you know, the soil makes the wine and he's really, like, he's all about good quality fruit and certainly I thought this wine um, really exemplifies that. What, what what did you think? What did you oh, think? it's I lovely. Love it. Yeah, it's I love that. Yeah. It's so yeah. nice. So as I said, winespark.com and um, it, you know, this one is available at 14.35 as opposed to 24 euro in a wine shop. Right, okay. Uh, Esther, what movie would you like to do first? Can I just say first of all, like I've said it before, but if they don't have the next tour set on Svartland or at least have it as a backstory than Marvel missing a beat. It's the most <laughs> Thor word I've ever heard. Yes. <laughs> um, let's let's talk about Belfast, Sean, because I know a lot of people are really keen on this one and they li- like the sound of this one. It's um, Kenneth Branagh's big love story to Belfast City. Right. OK, so uh, we'll, we'll do Belfast first. Uh, uh, the hashtag, by the way, is uh, Meatloaf Movies. Uh, rather cruelly, somebody's put, I know what you won't do next summer. Uh, we'll take a break. Uh, Belfast coming up after this. Movies and Booze on Moncrief. Brought to you by Lidl's award-winning wine range. Lidl, more for you. Enjoy alcohol sensibly. Visit drinkaware.ie. These boys are suffering. I don't think we've got till Easter. We'll fight this together. Kids the same age as ours. 
are getting killed or in the corner. Well, be careful. You can't be with them 24 hours a day. You can't take away their childhood either. Whatever happens, what you've done with these two, it's phenomenal. What are you talking about? You raised them. Not me. Thank you. Right, uh, that's Belfast. Uh, it's in cinemas, uh, I think, from uh, uh, right at the moment. Uh, so go on, Esther. It's about Belfast, obviously. It's lovely. This is just so sweet. And uh, I think people are going to possibly throw stones at it because it's going to get a lot of award season attention. It already is. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of Oscar nominations and then it's going to be the movie this year that people go, it wasn't that good. I'm going to (laughs) put them all in a headlock (laughs) and rip their heads off, basically, because this is a delight. Um, It's the sweetest, most colourful, charming movie set during the the Troubles, first of all, that you're ever likely to see. Uh, Written and directed by Kenneth Branagh. And this feels really lived from Branagh um, because it always amazes me that a lot of people don't realise this, but before he was raised in in Reading, um, Branagh was a a working class Protestant Northern Irish family and they spent the first 10 years of his life, I think, in Belfast. Uh, And and like the family in this film, they come to a a huge crossroads in the sense that it's the the late 60s. um, This Protestant family is living very happily among Catholic neighbours, um, but the troubles are around the corner and they're looming large and it is in the interests of certain people um, to cause division between this family and the other families. And and in Branagh's case, uh, you know, their family here is at a crossroads. In Branagh's case, they were forced pretty much to relocate to Reading when he was a boy. And he, any chance, if you've ever had the pleasure of meeting him or reading an interview with him, he's such a nice man. But any chance he gets, he'll tell you he's a proud Belfast boy. So this is a very, very personal project for him. Um, and it's set during that turbulent time in Irish history. And I think what it does is it finds, you know, it's like a film like in America, Jim Sheridan's film, or Roma even, Alfonso Cuaron, I think what it's doing is zoning in on one family and finding the heart and the humour and the intimacy of this one family story against the backdrop of a really turbulent time of change in Irish history. Um, so I think it, it, it opens in 1969. Um, we see neighbours starting to guard streets for their own protection um, as a religious and political conflict takes a hold, I guess. And the, the treasure rights is kind of threatening to transform the city as well and within that you have this family um, led by uh, a cheeky little uh, boy by the name of Buddy who's played by Jude Hill who's absolutely fantastic in this um, he's, you know you, you're involved, you know they're a working class family his ma, ma and pa as they're called are played by uh, Katrina Balfe and Jamie Dornan and he lives in uh, an intergenerational household because he's, uh, his grandparents played by Kieran Hines and Judy Dench um, who imparts some delightfully uh, incorrect wisdoms to Buddy over his life uh, and they're, they're wonderful in it actually uh, they are living in the house with them as well so the story is slight enough. Um, you've got this backdrop. The Troubles loom large, but ne- it's never a film about the Troubles. It never even feels like one, you know. Uh, but what we do find out is Buddy's family don't really have it easy. Uh, there's a lot of debt. 
uh, they've been paying off um, spare ca- any spare cash they had to the taxman. And Katrina Balfs Ma, who is just, she is wonderful in here in this, by the way. I think she's a shoe-in of all the Oscar chatter. I, I think she's a shoe-in for um, Best Supporting Actress. It's a supporting actress performance in the very best possible sense in that um, there are three or four scenes in the film where she will just move you to tears uh, because she it kind of falls in her to control um, Buddy and his, other, his little brother uh, because Pa, who's played by Jamie Dornan, is working in England, as so many families of this time would have been. He is over there for weeks on end, tries to get home weekends, not always possible, and she's really raising these kids on her own. But... And I think this is the heart of the film and the core of the film. Home to her is not just the city, but the actual streets around their house. Like she knows everybody. She knows everyone's history, everyone's legacy and past. So when it becomes, when the heat kind of comes on to this family um, because of what's going on politically, she she's faced with the absolute dilemma of whether to travel with her husband to England where he has work um, where they can pay their debts, where their boys can grow up uh, without being risk risk of, of injury or even worse, or saying good, you know, she has that choice between doing that or and saying goodbye to everything she's ever known, really. And it's very moving that um, it's a very simple theme about the big stuff. Um, and I think from Brana, it's it's a memoir in the purest possible sense. It's almost like an, a novel, you know, what a memoir does with a novel, he's doing with a film here. Um, it's about kind of the family and the community that form you and those double-edged emotions, I think, that come with dreaming of a better life and the immigrant life. Um, it will, the lightness of touch it has is is going to, people are going to go, why is he getting Oscar nominations? It needs to be more adept. I say thank you, first of all, Kenneth Brown, for not Oscar rating. We've seen enough of that. Um, and I would also liken it to a film that got a lot of attention a few years ago called Jojo Rabbit. Um, in that sense, that it's, it's told through a child's eye. It's almost a film about the loss of innocence. Um, and I think that's very deceptively clever filmmaking, actually. Um, it's never as poignant as that shoe scene in Jojo Rabbit, if you've seen it, you'll mm. know it. Um, but I think there is a lot of simple stuff being done really, really well here. And I have to say, Katrina Balfe, what a star. I mean, I, I, I'm not very familiar with Outlander. I know she's already, I think a lot of Irish people aren't actually, but she has a huge global fan base on, this, on the back of that. Um, and always wanted to act, you know, she, she went off and had a supermodel career because she was packing groceries in, in Duns and Rat Mines while she was studying drama when she was spotted by a, a model scout and her, her modeling career just took off from there. But she always wanted to come back, you know, zone back around and come back and, and pursue an acting career, which she has done uh, very impressively. I think she is absolutely wonderful here. She's a proper film star. And I think the casting of her and Jamie Dornan is lovely, actually, because first of all, they're so beautiful and glamorous and delightful to watch but also it's almost like told through this boy's imagination or mind's eye that his parents are movie stars you know and there's all the love of that and all the family stuff and I I really loved it shot in beautiful black and white um to a great soundtrack uh yeah there's nothing I didn't like about this it's a real pleasure this right okay uh Fanula, you saw it. you loved it as well yeah I really liked it just I'd echo a lot of what Esther said it's just like a stunning stunning movie and just uh, that lightness and the performances so good 
Like, I it just as well he did it well, because I can imagine there's a lot of pressure there, obviously, writing that love letter to your hometown, but... It was gorgeous. Really, really nice. Right, okay. I'm seeing there all the uh, news websites are kind of reporting now as, as pretty much confirmed, even though there had been speculation on that all the, uh, or the majority of the COVID restrictions uh, will be gone from 6am tomorrow morning. Uh, so you can head straight to the pub at five past six tomorrow morning if uh, any of them open. Uh, the uh, Liam says, Jojo Robert is extraordinarily good. If it's even half as good as that, it'll be well worth a watch. Uh, Elaine said, wants to know, is this Kenneth Branagh's first decent non-Shakespearean di- di- directorial outing? Can't think of another. Hmm. No, he's really, he's more versatile than you might think. He made, he made the first tour, Kenneth Branagh. He directed the first tour, um, which was pretty good, I thought. Uh, and that was a big step up for him, I think, because he was known just for the kind of period Shakespearean drama before that. But he proved himself able to, you know, harness a big action film and has done lots of really big stuff since I know he did the live action adaptation of Cinderella a few years ago as well which was beautiful looking um, but yeah if this is what he can do with an intimate thing I would happily grab him from the jaws of Marvel forevermore and have him make more family dramas like this uh, Sinead says J- Jamie Dornan actually sounds like he's acting in that clip that's a refreshing change meow I nearly forgot about Wild Mountain Time for the two hours it was on. Yeah, okay, there you go. Some things are almost forgivable. Uh, And Alan has a question for you, Esther. I'm heading to Greece in a couple of weeks, but I know nothing about Greek wine. Could Esther recommend some good Greek wines to try while there? I'm going to do something radical, Alan. I'm going to ask Jean to take some time out from film reviewing to make some recommendations to you. Um, Yeah, I mean, Greek wine, the grape varieties that are unpronounceable, um, and that's the thing. It's not, you're not going to get your Cabernet Sauvignons or Sauvignon Blanc. Um, I mean, the, the bedrock, one of the earliest places in ancient history where wine was originally um, made was Greece and it was the Greeks who actually brought wine to Italy so and, and, and so on and so on. Um, the Greek wine is really amazing and in fact O'Brien's and, and some of the um, supermarkets have quite an interesting range of great wines here so you could you know try out a few. O'Brien's probably is your best bet. Um, go in and talk to somebody in the shop and they'll give you a, a couple of hints of what to go for. Um, I, years ago, I worked promoting Greek wine on the Irish market. I mean, I'm talking about 25 years ago. And it was amazing. And it was really, really good. You got red, white, you know, sweet wines, the, 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 like sparkling wines. It, it, you know, every style is made there. Um, a lot of it, a lot of it comes from Macedonia, um, the Greek Macedonia up on, mm. on, on the north. That's where a lot of the vineyards are. But equally, you'll find an awful lot of the islands have vineyards as well. I'm not sure what part of Greece you're going to, but um, you're in for a treat because, um, as I say, don't don't be put off by the names of the grape varieties. The styles and the winemaking um, going on in, Greek, in Greece at the moment absolutely amazing so you know you'll be you'll be well pleased right okay something that might be featuring when it comes around to uh, the next oscar or next award season uh, is uh, the new tv series they're making a fatal attraction yeah you you're not you're not interested you're not intrigued and somehow i don't see how you could spin that out to a story uh, uh, really yeah so they're it's it's very similar to the movie but they've just cast Joshua Jackson in the male lead who is Pacey and Dawson's Creek he's done lots of other things since um, he's going to start alongside Lizzie Kaplan and basically the line they're trotting out is it's from Paramount Plus but the line they're trotting out is the series is described as a deep dive reimagining of the film that will explore the timeless themes of marriage infidelity uh, through the lens of modern attitudes towards strong women personality disorders and course of control so uh, 
Kaplan plays Alex, who becomes obsessed with her lover Dan, who Jackson plays after a brief affair, basically. So well, what I want to know is, will the bunny be in it? Um, unconfirmed, <laughs> but probably. <Yeah. laughs> like there's uh, the, the, there's two things uh, um, that, that that film's face uh, famous for. Mm. Uh, both are animal related. One is the bunny. We know what the other one is. Mm. So uh, um, we don't know if either of those will feature in this series. I mean. I'd say they'll have to I'd say there will be a callback like you can't not even the fact that we're having this conversation it seems like a miss to not The bunny or the other scene? I think why not both? Why not both? Well I think uh, um, yeah I think she she had some uh, some poor feelings about that Uh, Right okay Um, uh, right so Netflix isn't doing as well as one would have thought Yeah so it missed its subscriber target for this year after a very strong 2021 obviously bear in mind like 20 and 2020 I should say um, you're talking about the start of the pandemic there was a lot of steep growth for them because everyone was at home and movie theatres were closed Um, so they were looking at I think the forecast was like 8.4 million but they only got 8.3 which I mean still Mm. I mean, and they have like a total subscriber base of like 222 million. It's insane globally. Um, they're kind of putting it down to the fact that basically Disney and the other streamers are putting in like so much money into their output. And I think when you look at the likes of like Dope Sick, I think was kind of di- with Disney's first like big talking point in yeah. comparison to that kind of was reached a broader audience when you compare to what Netflix offers. Um, now they're saying that they're kind of the forecast for 2022, they're kind of looking for the to, the subscriber growth to stabilise because obviously you have new series of like Ozark is, I think the first part of that is out today. Yeah. Bridgerton season two obviously comes in March and Stranger Things is due for release the next series of that later this year. So that will probably bring a lot of people either back or maybe new eyes into them. So, Yeah. The thing is though, those three shows are, it's, you know, part two, part three. So that's people, if people want to watch that, they already have a Netflix subscription rather than it's going to get new people, uh, new subscribers, I would have mm, thought. Potentially, yeah. You might have had, a, as we always have these conversations about having too many streamers and they might decide, I'm not watching anything at the minute. I'll resubscribe when Ozark comes back because it's the only place I can watch it. All right, okay. So. Uh, one texter says, I'd say myself and the 48 other people using my account probably have something to do with Netflix <laughs> underwhelming growth this year. <laughs> Yes, well observed. Uh, you are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Uh, we're going to take a break. Uh, more movies and booze after this. Movies and booze on Moncrief, brought to you by Lidl's award-winning wine range. Lidl, more for you. Enjoy alcohol sensibly. Visit drinkaware.ie. Uh, as regards uh, Kenneth Branagh, hmm, mixed opinions there. Uh, Kenneth Branagh was marvellous about 15 years ago when he played Ernest Shackleton, uh, says Jen. Michael says he's so overrated, he's such a lovey, as overrated as Laurence Olivier. His murder on the Orient Express was horribly over the top. He never even cared about his roots until it became fashionable to be from the north. Uh, says Michael. I didn't know. Is it fashionable to be from the North now? I think that's a bit harsh from who that's, that in. Yeah. The war that, film. I like the war film. He was great in that. The, the, the D-Day one. Where they're, yeah. What's it called, Esther? No. Dunkirk. 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 Yeah, yeah, I thought that yeah. was good. Yeah, there you go. So, in your face, Michael. Uh, um, yeah, Gene liked the, uh, the war one. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Belfast was edited by Dublin Girl. I'm sure she's a woman. Uh, Unini Donal, uh, says uh, another texture. Now, uh, uh, you may have seen stories. Tom Cruise is going to do shoot a sequence on the space station. 
Yeah. Imagine being trapped in a confined uh, space with Tom Cruise. But uh, uh, other than that, uh, now they're going to, he's, he's what, he's going to build a studio up there or something? Essentially, yeah. So he's working on this space film at the minute. And with that, he's looking at building this like production studio and a sports arena so that people can shoot stuff in zero gravity and assumingly play sports in zero gravity. Um, it's going to dock at uh, Axiom uh, Station, which is like the commercial wing of the International Space Station in the uh, States. So it's like you can host events there if you want to film stuff there. Um, it's going to be 250 miles above Earth. So there you go. If you want to go make something in space, give Tom Cruise a buzz. Mother of God, how much would it cost though? I don't even want to think about that. Must be like, I. so I think he, I think he was looking to go to space himself last year. Um, because of the budget so I think they were looking at like a 200 million dollar budget and he couldn't afford it at the time or was waiting on something else Okay so um, you spend 200 million dollars so you can film real zero G as opposed to spending nothing and just getting actors to go just move slowly Yeah it's to yeah exactly to try and make it more kind of realistic or whatever because it's never been done but it just seems like a lot of money for a lot of nothing really when it's I don't know well, it just, just seems pure Tom Cruise like yeah, yeah. exactly this seems like so your vanity project yeah and is he still going is that still going to happen his space movie is going to be shot partially in space yeah God, I wonder when that's going to happen no word on that yet but yeah still I think it'd be a lot it's stuck, it's stuck, in, <laughs> stuck in I want to see the other uh, the other but astronauts the Rus- going oh the, my god the Russians god. already did it they- hi everybody yeah. I'm Tom Cruise <laughs> the Russians already did it they filmed they, they, they last year they filmed in space they yeah. fl- flew, flew some actress up there to the space station and they filmed a film up there so it's been done already yeah, Russians the got their first Tom right okay so it's probably better Uh, Esther, Firebird is a movie set in Estonia during the Cold War uh, about a love affair between two pilots. I know, I looked it up during the ad break. Okay. For the love of God, could you get any more obscure? Okay, that was you that probably texted in there. Uh, uh, You you or the other person, uh, whoever they were. Anyway, what's our second wine today, Jean, which I've had a sip of already and is lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Quickly, just uh, now that everything's opening up again, the wine diary is filling up... Ashford Castle have a Meet the Gourmet weekend from the 4th to the 6th of February. There's loads of wine fairs. The French Wine Fair is now. That's a trade show on the 14th of March in the Hilton Hotel. All the details are in my wine diary, jeansmullen.com. There's lots of consumer and trade events. Um, things are opening up. Business is starting again. Thank God is all I can say. So check out the wine diary for details of the various events. Now we're going to Spain um, for the second wine. And Eamon told me this is his fourth most popular wine in terms of sales. And I can see why. And in fact, this wine is last year it was awarded Best Winery in Ribera del Duero by Decanter and was one of their Wines of the Year in 2021. It got Matt Walls, the Decanter reviewer, gave it 95 out of 100 and that's really good from Decanter. So again, another small family producer from Ribera del Duero, a region I love. I've been there so many times and I just adore it. The guy who makes this is Oscar Aragon. And he has um, an estate in Roberto del Duero. This wine is made from 100% Tempranillo or Tintofino, as it's known um, in the region. It's aged in old French oak barrels for 13 months. And it really defines the style that is Ribera. Now, the difference between Ribera and Rioja, for example, is Rioja wines are that sort of age style. Ribera wines are tighter. They're more kind of, they're leaner. They, they, they don't go for that soft vanilla. There's, there's much more structure to them, which is, and personally, my own personal preference, I love the, the, the more kind of, shall we say, meaty, more manliness of the um, uh, of the Ribera wines. But let me just tell you what wine this is. This is the 2018 
Silar de Silo, Dio Ribeiro del Duera. It's Crianza. Traditional price is 28 euro, but the Winespark price is 16.80. Available from winespark.com. You also get them on Instagram at winespark. Oh, I mean, you said it, Sean. It's gorgeous. It and is absolutely mean, beautiful. I, yeah, yeah, one of the wines of the year in decanter. I mean, you know, God. And I'm taking this one home to watch, drink it tomorrow while I'm watching the rugby. Yeah, okay. Lovely. Actually, just, you know, there's been a lot of horror today you brought us, uh, uh, Fanula. So, <laughs> so uh, much horror. Something perhaps uh, a bit more uh, positive. There's going to be a chicken run too. Yes. Big gap between that and chicken run one. 22 years. Mother of it's, God. It's still the most successful stop animation film ever. Um, but now I think this was announced in 2018 but we got our first look there's images on the internet if you want to do Google but it's going to be called Chicken Run Dawn of the Nugget and it's going to land on Netflix in 2023 because Aardman Studios are they're collaborating on Netflix with a couple of other things there's going to be a new Wallace and Gromit which is going to be the first one in 14 years which I'm also very excited for um, Zachary Levi is replacing Mel Gibson as Rocky but a lot of the original cast are uh, returning uh, Tandy Newton is taking over from Julia Sawala as Ginger um, and there's a couple of other people who else do we have Amanda Staunton is coming back as Bunty Lynn Ferguson as Mac I cannot wait for this I wrecked my mum's head playing this as a child on the VCR just <laughs> repeatedly again again the chickens incredible was it the same chickens yeah. will it, or will it be the same chickens You know, and will they recognise the fact there's a 22 year gap will these be old chickens does so a chicken I, even live that long <laughs> I think the plot is I think it's focusing on one of the chi- one of them has a chick and it's around the chick and that chick's life I'm not 100% sure but yeah I think it's it's a lot of pretty much a lot of the same characters yeah right okay newbies right okay we'll move on to our second movie of the day it is Munich The Edge of War here's a clip I believe the name Paul von Hartmann is known to you yes sir we were at Oxford together he has a document in his possession we'd like you to go to Munich tomorrow and get the document. It'll be an act of espionage on the foreign soil. Oh, right, sorry. I thought somebody was going to say something there. I thought it was a dramatic pause, uh, um, but obviously not. Uh, right, okay. So how does this, how, how does what's depicted in this film differ from reality? Um, first of all, can I say, yay for Chicken Run. Um, we, have t- <laughs> we have a t-shirt in our house with a picture of Rocky from Chicken Run and the words Tasty Geezer under it. And it's falling apart now, but we can't bear to throw it out. <laughs> um, so, yeah, delighted for that. So how this differs is it's based on um, a historical novel by, by Robert Harris, a really, really successful novel called Munich. Um, and what he's doing is taking the historical events of um, the Munich Accord when... You know, England and France and uh, Italy thought they were being very clever to go over and have a chat with Hitler and, and talk him around and reason with him and appease him in 1938 uh, if they gave him a slice of uh, the Czechos- well, Czechoslovakia at the time. Uh, and that was kind of the deal they struck. You know, so naive. And, and, and Chamberlain came back, of course, um, and famously brandished the agreement and they used the words peace for our time. And uh, that's kind of gone down the history books to haunt him ever since. So what Robert Harris is doing here is taking that tipping point and kind of making this really jittery espionage thriller around it. 
Uh, if you care about your history, you'll probably be a little bit frustrated when you read up on it afterwards. But that's what he's doing here. It's an adaptation of that novel. And w- what we have is George McKay as this kind of um, low level official in the government of Never- Neville Chamberlain's who is um, he's gone to Oxford he knows this German official um, from his college days who happens to work for um, Hitler and wants to blow the whistle. And this is fact that there is an existence meetings from uh, minutes from a meeting the year before where Hitler outlined his great plan, which was basically to take over the world because he was a nut. Um, and, and he has this as proof. And what they're trying to do is get these two men together who have a kind of, they're kind of falling apart as well. They had ideological differences in the 30s and their friendship fell out. Um, and, and they're trying to get them to work together to get this um, document into the hands of Neville Chamberlain, who's played by Jeremy Irons here, so that he can blow the whistle and not sign this and, and that history as we know it can be changed. It's very good filmmaking, Sean. This, it's a real pleasant surprise. It's in cinemas from today. You'll also have it on your Netflix from tonight. Uh, definitely, if you're into spy thrillers, a bit of escapism, bit of wartime drama you could do a lot worse than sit down and watch this tonight it's very good filmmaking um it's cranked up by kind of very taut and tight direction of course uh, you know george mckay is so good as an everyman you can invest in and then i was listening to the score and i don't often notice the score unless it jars with me a little but i was going gosh the music is really propelling the tension in this film who wrote this score and there is uh, Isabel Waller-Bridge, who's a composer and hmm. also the sister, the sister of um, screenwriter Phoebe, who's done a marvellous job with the music here. And I, I'm definitely going to go looking for her more and see more of her work. Um, good old fashioned filmmaking here. I know we all, for the times we live in, I think there's a little better escapism than an espionage thriller. Um, and then you can look up a brilliant website that I use as a resource a lot, actually, called History versus Hollywood, which is brilliant in its detail. And if you're so inclined, you can get mildly annoyed about some of the liberties they've taken here. I would say especially in the characterization of or anyone who knows any bit about history, I suppose, will, will, will know a lot more than me. But in the characterization of Neville Chamberlain, I think they've given us a very uh, much more sympathetic leader, I think, than maybe what deserves to be on screen. But other than that, it plays really well. Uh, there's people hiding stuff and Hitler turns around and says, come back a couple of times to somebody who's got documents in a train, in their pockets. And, you know, it's all that... Um, you know all the paranoid stuff that mm. and, and and that that really good stuff that that I think when it's told through the story of Nazism is particularly tense because we know of course what they're capable of you know. Okay, that's two goodies there. Uh, well yeah. done. Uh, right, thanks a million, uh, Esther. Thanks also to uh, Fanula and Jean. That's our lot for today. Kieran's up next on News Talk. Our production team today, Marisa Sullivan, Aidan McKelvey, Simon Tierney, and Michael Quilligan. Uh, enjoy your freedom at the weekend. Movies and Booze on Moncrief Brought to you by Lidl's award-winning wine range Lidl, more for you Enjoy alcohol sensibly Visit drinkaware.ie